another episode of Both Sides of the Fence. Mate, it's uh, three sides of the fence now, actually, <laughs> at the moment. Today, we've got Matt Orchard from Francis Rose Financial, one of the top performing mortgage brokers in Australia for his age bracket, but also aggregately as well. Matt, tell us a little bit about your numbers from last year and where you're on track to write this year. Um, numbers last year, one we settled 142 mil uh, on track this year, financial year, too early in the calendar year to do 160. 160, is that where you get uncommon amongst uncommon? Yeah, this is, you know what? I don't really have much of a background for this, man, other than this is like David Goggins' quote, work ethic, looks good, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, you've got quote. You got another quote over there. Stay hard from yeah. David Goggins as well. <laughs> Obviously, that's a philosophy that you're kind of living by, right? So, yeah. in terms of work ethic, you're obviously putting in the work. What type of hours is usually involved with mortgage broking? Oh, it depends on volume. Depends on team. I'd say, like, I can only speak on behalf of myself and the team, man. And it would be start from seven to eight, and then. You'd say you'd go through till seven to eight at night, but like you're getting calls and stuff all in like after hours and action emails. Because I know that's a lie because I've yeah. seen your Instagram. I've seen Emily, which is his partner, recording him at 11, 11 p.m. at night, calling in uh, aggregators or whatever you're doing at 11 p.m. at night. And um, I guess that's what makes you uncommon amongst uncommon, right. right? What about last night? So we're teed up to go for a run this morning at like 5 a.m. So usually what happens is I'll come from east to cut back to the hills and we'll go for a run the next morning. He messaged me, we teed it up for like, we already teed it up. Anyway, like nine at night, like bro, got heaps of work to do. We'll have to postpone the run. A little bit of a sleeping. Yeah, that's it. Um, I would say, something I should say about the numbers, right? And the way we operate, a lot of it's predicated on hard work. Yeah. That's like genuine. Like I feel like I could invest more money in the team to do the same amount of volume, but I don't, I, I probably should because it makes sense, but I think it's everything's built on work ethic. Yeah. Like everything I've done so far is just grinding, working. So if I give that a meaning, I'd say just be work hard, yeah. stay humble, and um, Yeah. How long have you been doing this for? Like it? I find, like broking, been in the industry for 10 years. Okay. Francis Rose Finance for five years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. It's an interesting one too, man, like, because five years, like, steady growth, so when bang, first year went out by myself, second year, good growth, third year, but last year, it just fucking exploded, man. It was exploded. exponential. Yeah, it exploded, like, it helped, like, referral partners were good, market was good, but I feel like all the work and all the energy and time just has accumulated and compiled that all the people we've helped mm -hmm. come back, refer, and it's just gone bang. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's just years of hard work. People don't see it. People only see what happened last year and go, oh, overnight success. Like he grew a business from one from himself to seven or six people that you got now yeah. within the space of a year, but it, but it's not in a year. Yeah, it's, you would, yeah, you, you'd be able to, you both would be able to relate to it, man. It's, Doing the little things consistently and just letting them compound over time and time, and then eventually it just feels like it just exploded. But when you think about it, it was the, like I send birthday messages every single morning personalized to all the customers. Really? That was it, right? Wow. So, but it's just years of doing that, years of following up customers, making sure the rate's good. Little things that don't mean my, or aren't, 
dollar producing tasks, but I just do on mundane tasks day in, day out. And I think from that, man, you build loyal customers, you build trust, and then it's just compounded. Mm -hmm. It's like, I feel like real estate, you would do letterbox dropping, door knocking, little things over time, and it mm -hmm. feels like it's nothing's coming from it, nothing's coming from it. Then mm -hmm. all of a sudden, you get all these listings, mm -hmm. and then once you get the listings, you get the sales, once you get the sales, mm -hmm. you prove in the area and just goes, it just fucking explodes from there. 100%, and I feel that's where a lot of people get caught is in the mundane. Like they, what Jeff Jowett says is that's where the magic happens is in the mundane and simplifying it. A lot of, Jeff Jowett's being one of our co one of our business coaches and what I think a lot of people try to do, not just in real estate buyers agent or, or mortgage broking, they try to overcomplicate it when really it's actually that simple. It's just in the mundane tasks and doing it, but they try to do this, 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 this and that. Yeah. But it's just all about keeping consistent with the same mundane tasks, as boring as it is. Yeah. But that's all it takes. It's just being consistent with it. Yeah, it's, um, bro, I'm big on Jocko, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, he says it a lot, man. You just get up, you do it every day. If you do it consistently, man, it just compounds. As long as you're doing the right things. I think a lot of people would um patient as well. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. feel like, like I do the same thing and I wouldn't say I'm crazy, like I'm special or I'm crazy at doing it, but I just do it consistently. If I'm gonna call someone, I call them at the time. If I'm I send in the information quick. I do things quick, I'm responsive, and I do it consistently. And I think, man, that, mm. like I said, bro, I feel like that's where the magic happens, man, Yeah. over time. Have well. you experienced much burnout or like, how do you balance that grind and that hard work with also like not getting burnt out? And, and at the moment I've gone through a little bit of a, a process where I get, I get so much momentum doing the little things and, you know, because I get coaching with Jeff, it's like, Simplify to amplify it. I start to get heaps of momentum. Yeah. But then when all this momentum builds, I feel like I can do more. I'll you know I'll work an extra hour when I probably shouldn't. I should have yeah. that me time. What are your experiences and thoughts where like balancing your time away from work to recharge and be more effective in work, or do you think you've just got to grind? Bro, I just push through. Just push. Yeah. Exactly. I wouldn't say I burn like. Fuck. It depends how you define burnout, right? Bro, there's times where the, the end of the day, I got scramble brain. So many bills, so many calls, so many emails, my brain's frazzled, like I'm done. Like I can't put any more deals together, it's here. But in terms of like burnout and stopping and selling it, nah. Like I'll just push through. What I'll yeah. do is I will compromise uh, physical activity. Okay. So I'll cut the physical activity and I'll push through the work. Yeah, yeah. So there's some sort of compromise, but... Doesn't look like you've compromised, though. <laughs> nah. Good training, good training, leg press. Yeah. Mate, fucking, look at the dangle yeah. on you, bro. I know. <laughs> That's what you call a dilf. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's actually a, a parent now. Yeah. But, yeah. That's what you're talking about, that as well. Yeah, parent and time. That's tricky, right? Yeah, how do you sleep? Because I got a little nephew and that, like we, we went away and we yeah. were staying, um, I think it was in Port Stephens uh, with uh, like my sister-in-law and they had their nephew. It was 2 a.m. in the morning and I woke up, I thought there was a demon, but it yeah. was this little kid. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? How do you manage that? Uh, like M's very good, man. Like yeah. she helps with that a lot with that. That's a good point, right? Like the business exploded last year. Uh, 
but yeah, last year was the hardest year of my life because we had Humphrey, so we had a newborn, business doubled, um, and how we managed it. I look back on it, I, you know what I figured out? So like in terms of work and numbers, this is what I figured out. I figured out you gotta figure out how to work from 7 p.m. to as late as you need to go. Mm. That was a game changer. So you're in the office year, at seven? I was, last year I would wake up, help with the kids, get to work, work, get home, help put, put the kids to bed, mm. and then work. So as soon as the kids went to sleep, I jumped back on the computer and work through, like wow. consistently. And then weekends too. Wow. So work on weekends, tidy up. Do well, you're outworking everybody then. So I would say, I would say I'm outworking it. I, I don't know, it's hard for me to, like, I don't know what other people are doing, but I'd be up there. What I'd say is for a dad that's got one kid and a newborn last year, I'd be very much up there. But the balance thing's hard. <clears throat> like it's hard because when the volume increases, the amount of calls, the amount of scenarios going on happens, your, your brain gets filled with all these different moving parts of what's going on. And you, like people want to use you as a, the contact and the person to speak to opposed to the team, which you'd probably mm. relate to when you're selling a property as well. <clears throat> so it was just, it was just a bit of a whirlwind, like in terms of the management. It's like any downtime, I'm gonna spend with the kids, try to switch off work, have a good time. But as soon as the kids go to sleep or I get downtime, bang, it's back on with work. So it was a situation that was very, very unbalanced last year. Yeah. Like it was just family work, mm. that was it. And then if I could squeeze it in running. If you, if you put on extra staff though, would that help you find more balance yeah, to it, help carry the workload more? Yeah, it would, man. Like I think people would probably do it better than what I would do it. What I found yeah. for me personally is like, it's a bit of a catch 22 because the team was growing like, oh, sorry, the numbers were growing rapidly. The team was growing pretty slowly. So it, I found that because the team wasn't big, there wasn't, a, there wasn't like a, like a blueprint to bring someone in and get them trained up real quick and get them integrated. It was more bring someone and be hands on. So what it was, the situation was family, newborn, young, like two young children, uh, lots of work and then new person and trying to get, like I'm hands on with the new person. So it would help, but I found it hard to balance and try to bring somebody on that's new and get them trained and show them the love. So yeah. to, to set them up to succeed, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But it was very interesting last year. It was, it was hard work. Mate, there's a question that I think um, is on everybody's mind right now. Yeah. Um, and that's what's going to happen towards the tail end of this year with interest rates. One, are interest rates, do you think they're going to rise? If they do, what happens to the property market? Should people be worried? What are your thoughts? My thoughts, rates will go up. It's it's dependent how quick it's dependent on what happens with the like with the numbers that come out in, in regards to inflation, unemployment, things like that. If they keep tracking well, I'll be able to pull the trigger, then rates will go up. I, I did read something the other day that said that and I think it may have come from the RBA, like how it will affect people. It, I don't think it's going to be a huge impact, and also I think I'll be going to tread carefully. That I'm not just going to skyrocket rates for people in hardship. Yeah. Um, but they were saying that a year ago, 
people had a year's worth of savings to cover their mortgage repayments, yeah. and now they have two years worth. Yeah, okay. So people are saving their money. So they're financially more stable to, if rates go up, they've got more cash and savings there to accommodate. Yeah. So I don't think it'll be a huge impact. Can, we, can you um can you touch on how the banks view servicing as well? And you know, from my experience when I used to work in finance and, and lending, you'd have there's multiple funders that before you actually get a loan, let's say the, the standard interest rate's three yeah. percent, that add a buffer rate on top of the, your standard interest rate, yeah. generally that's a two percent increase depending on the funder. Can you talk about how the banks have uh, calculated serviceability yeah. um, and the buffers that are in place? And then I guess if rates do rise, what does that look like for the average borrower? Yeah, yeah. So what they have is initial buffer. So they don't assess what your mortgage repayments will be based on the rate that they give you. They have a 3% buffer on top of that. Okay. So if you have an interest rate of 3%, they assess the repayment on, at 6%. So the bank's already premeditated that if rates go up 3%, they've calculated that you can still, based on your current situation, you can afford those mortgage repayments. Yep. So the bank's built in the buffer to do their due diligence, which again, if rates go up, these mm. things are in place to make sure people can afford their mortgages. In terms of how they run the serviceability, without getting too complicated, it's essentially they use, like they've got buffers on like certain incomes and all that sort of jazz, but it's net income needs to be higher than your net expenses, including the loan you're looking to take. As long as it yeah. is, then you can technically service the loan that you're looking for, yeah. and the bank's happy to lend you the money. And also too, like my, when I, my understanding is, you know, when they're grading your t the types of income you receive, they'll actually buffer that and, and shade how much they'll consider. So for yeah. example, like, you know, I, from my understanding, wages will only take like X amount of income, yeah. where, you know, the rental income on your property, they'll only take 80% versus 100%. Yep. So they, they shade how much they view of your income. Is that like, can you talk about yeah. that? Is that still the case? Yeah, 100%. So base salary, they'll use 100%, but they shade most other things. So over time, traditionally shade 80% of that income. Bonuses, 80%, commission, 80% rental income. Usually 80% of rental income gets used for servicing. So all, it all gets factored in. So like, what, what's a common theme is you speak to people and they say, look, I can afford these mortgage repayments, it's fine. But the lender doesn't look at it like that, mm. right? Or like I'm paying X amount of rent, the mortgage repayment's less, I can afford it. They go, they work and trim all these numbers, work out the net income they'll use, and then if it's not enough to service it, you don't service. You have to reduce the loan amount or you need more income, mm. whatever it may be. So, um, it's not as simple as I can afford this, so give me the mortgage. It's you need to plug in all the numbers, they do all the trimmings, and then only if there's enough income there will they give you the money you're looking to take with all the buffers built into it as well. Yeah. Now, a, a lot of our viewers are a lot, like the, the, they're the younger crowd that may be on, let's say 50, 70, 80 grand a year, yeah. and they're looking to buy their first house. Yeah. Now, out of curiosity, what is the, the average price or medium price of a first home buyer at the moment that, that you're working with? I would say there's a lot of people around the area, they're fitting that bracket of around about, 
I'd say 750 to 850 seems to be a common thing. Yeah. Um, and we've got a lot of people around this area going brand new and, and building yeah. out mm. around Marsden Park or even like around Austral yeah. and that way as well. But they're usually in that sort of bracket. And and when a first home buyer is coming to you and let's say they don't have a parental guarantor, how much savings do they need to be able to go purchase that? What else, are, what other fees do they have to consider and factor in? Yeah, there's some layers to that as well. So if you're a first home buyer, there's some benefits available. So regarding deposit, there's the first home loan deposit scheme. So technically you only need 5% if you qualify and then you need additional funds if there's stamp duty costs. If you don't qualify because there's different price thresholds or whatever it may be, um, I would say if you average it out, you probably need a 10% deposit. Yeah. Because you, you technically need to contribute, say, a, a 7 to 8% deposit towards the purchase, hmm. leave that 2 to 3% buffer to capitalize mortgage insurance and go to 90, borrow 95% of the purchase price, yep. and then any additional funds to cover the same duty costs. Okay, so like 75, 85 grand, yeah. Yeah, so that would be their common theme. Like some lenders, and this is where like working with a broker, I would say there's a big value add, is some lenders will allow you to go above 95%, so the required deposit's less, some lenders are just better suited to do certain things and navigate the deposit side of things as well. Mm. So, and you have to live in that house for a year, for six first, months. Six months. For the okay. First okay. Yeah. Okay. To get all the benefits as a first home buyer. Yeah, and that wipes stamp duty and what have you as well. Yeah. So there's three there's three benefits at the moment for first home buyers if you're eligible. There's the stamp duty exemption or concession. Yeah. So if you buy for six fifty, no stamp duty. Yeah. Between six fifty to eight hundred, you get a reduction on stamp duty. The second thing is the first homeowner grant, only available for brand new properties. Mm. So if you buy land and construct it, it's 750 max price combined. Mm. If it's off the plan, it's 600 max okay. price. Um, the last one's first homeowner deposit scheme. That's when the government act as a guarantor and you only need a 5% deposit. And the upside of that is you don't incur mortgage insurance. Really? Yeah, so that saves you thousands and also can give you access to better rates as well. So if you go buy a house out, I don't even know where you can buy a house under six, is Austral around that price or is that higher now? I'd say it's higher. Okay, so if you find a suburb out, let's say Campbelltown way or around that, around that pocket where they're building new houses, 650 grand, you've got no lenders mortgage insurance, it's 5% deposit, you've got um, no stamp duty. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Like I've got a customer at the moment bought a unit in Schofields. Yep. No stamp, like got the trifecta. Like no stamp duty, $10,000 grant, and the first home deposit scheme. That's awesome. Yeah, pretty cool. 100%, 100%. The one, the one thing I'm a bit concerned for this year is I know you're, you're saying that with the interest rate, when they do raise it, if they do raise it, is that it's not really gonna affect so much. But remember, I think it was 2017, mid 2017, in what was called that like sensible lending criteria. Do you remember that? Yeah. And I'm guessing it was something similar where they raised their like buffer zones and all that type of stuff. It didn't really affect a whole lot of buyers, but what it did do is it spooked the market and the yeah. buyers were like, whoa, 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 mm. hold up a second. If that's happening, I don't know what's gonna happen. And the market dropped by like 10% overnight. Yeah. So what I'm experiencing out in the oh, marketplace, 
experience it now. Yeah, yeah we, we start like, I'm not, I'm not sure about you, but we're starting to experience buyers saying, hey, hang on a minute. We can hear in the media that the interest rates are gonna be rate, uh, like rising. Let's put the brakes on our search at the moment and wait to see what happens. Yeah. Uh, are you starting to experience that as well? It's a topic of conversation. Um, not, not preventing people from moving forward. I yeah. think from our end, it, like we would be empowering people to see how it affects cash flow and all those sorts of things. So we'd probably give them good information to feel the level of comfort to do it. So we're not finding any pushback for it. But I get it meant in the sense that if interest rates go up, um, generally speaking, it'll affect the available, like people that have mortgages that won't have as accessible cash to go and spend and things like mm-hmm. that. And then people get into the market, the buff gets raised so they can't borrow as much. Yeah. So that generally affects the property market because the activity should drop off the back of it. So it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me, man, that like you get pushed back for these people not knowing what's going to happen with it, how it's going to drop in the property market, yeah. whether or not we see client. And then you lace the election over that too. Yeah. Like people get a bit spooked. Like not spooked out, but they just mm. want to see how this all unfolds, what the policies will be and then if that's gonna affect the property market. But I would say, because people sit tight, not a bad time to, to jump in and grab something because the activity's not as high during that period. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. I think like to share my two cents from a buying perspective, like you definitely see the change in sentiment for t- certain price brackets of property. Okay. So for example, a lot of pair YG buyers or people that are you know first home buyers that they're capped at a certain income threshold there's a, the, the market sentiment has definitely changed for those buyers um, so for example I bought a property on on the weekend in Erskineville mm. a one-bedroom terrace a 110 right had no parking it was just a standard terrace that this exact same property next door sold last year for 1.2 million we were the only registered bidders at auction the, the, our offer passed in, it didn't hit the vendor's guide. We ended up negotiating past that auction and bought the property for 1.1 million, right? Mm. The exact, a, a pretty much similar structure type of property, a one bedroom terrace in Paddington without parking, sold $500,000 above the reserve. Yeah. So like, you know, that had like 12 registered bidders, ours had one. The, the um, you know, already now I can see, depending on the location, the demographics of borrowers, like what, what you, you'll see at the moment, like self-employed people, people that have, you know, businesses or higher affluent scores, they generally aren't affected by things like rate rises. They, they can control their incomes, they can influence their financials, they can, they're not, ca- they're not worrying about maximizing their borrowing capacity to purchase the property. So like, I think, We'll actually see, I believe we'll see it consistently strong growth throughout the year in, in the good locations in, in the premium properties. Mm. But I think where you've got buyers that are um, pair YG, their incomes, they need to maximize the borrowing capacity to purchase the property. I can already see the shift in, yeah, in prices hit. now. Yeah, I'm yeah. not sure your experience has been, but that's like a live case study from the weekend. Um, and it'll be interesting to, to talk about investment as well um, with you three because like, my my opinion at the moment is, um, you know, that they're still gonna like. I can see there's a lot of investors now. Like, let's say out of a hundred buyers, I'll speak to in a week, eighty percent of them are like, are, are questioning the rate rises, and and with all this speculation, will rates rise? People are so hesitant to buy a property. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see what like your your actual vibe. 
I think, um, well, like I, I've listened to a couple of people that are saying that it's near impossible for them to raise the interest rates because we're going to be in, in a whole world of hurt. But at the same time, you're saying that that it's not, that we're going to be okay because of these buffers. Look, I, to be honest with you, I'm pretty neutral. I really don't care what which way it goes. At the same time, people are going to need to buy and sell. And it's the same thing with you guys. People are always going to need to buy and sell regardless. Um, I, I think personally that all this talk in the media is de definitely spooking the market. And, you, you know, you've had the Commonwealth Bank of Australia CEO come out earlier this year saying they will be raising interest rates. So I definitely think they will. How much? I don't know. But it doesn't have to be much. It only has to go up 0.1% and it spooks the marketplace. Mm. So I think even just yeah. the chat of it, even, they don't even have to rise interest no. rates, but exactly the chat, yeah, you know, 100%. especially people that, you know, we talk about properties in Marsden Park, Box Hill, um, down Camp Campbelltown Way. All the borrowers down there are generally people that have maxed out their afterpay, maxed out their LVR, have, you know, credit card debt where if things do change with the, the interest rate, it'll affect them. But like I, I'll deal with clients in the eastern suburbs that you know have 50% equity in their properties, have like three BMWs, 500 grand cash in the bank. You know, for interest rate talk of rise for them, it doesn't. doesn't yeah, they, they, instead of going on four holidays, they go on three. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, um, and then also too when they open up migration, I'm not talking like unskilled migration. I'm talking like people that have cashed up money that are coming to live in Sydney and Melbourne. Like I think we're gonna see massive price growth in the blue okay. chip areas as well. Okay. Um, that's my, my yeah. thoughts as well. I don't know, man. I think so. I think the areas that will be hit will be, I think the Western, like if I was speaking specific to Sydney, I think it'll be the Western suburbs. Mm. Not that I think it's overpriced, but I kind of think it's a bit overpriced. <laughs> I think that could be here because I feel like the activity could drop and people can't justify the prices, yeah. which means that there'll be a, not a correction, but maybe a slight reduction. But the good areas will always perform, like the better areas mm. near the water, near the city. They will continue. Lifestyle. Yeah, because they will keep lives. pumping into there. And like those areas, there's only a certain amount of stock that trades at a given point in time, right? It's so like, People out there, they don't. If they don't have to sell, because like, most of those people will never have to sell. They only sell because they want to upgrade, or you know what. Well, where do you go from? Yeah, exactly right. So, people think when prices prices are going to drop in these locations, people there don't. They just don't sell, right? We're out west. People, there's a lot more, you know, brand new house and land packages that get built. There's a lot more stock that trades, mm. you know, because there's so a lot more volume of supply. Prices are so much more, I guess, uh, volatile. Mm. I think so. I think I'm looking at specific areas now and it just seems like there's more supply hitting the market. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like Definitely. I was looking at it last year, like limited supply, massive demand, just drove it all up. It was it became a bit of a frenzy. Hmm. But come the beginning of this year, more supply probably maybe same demand or less demand. It just seems like more of it like it shifted from a seller's market. I wouldn't say the buyer's market, but it's a lot easier to buy this year, it looks like, versus last year. Yeah. And if that trend continues, it will drive prices, like, it won't drive prices up, I yeah. don't think. Hmm. Like, I'm looking at Northern Beaches in a certain price bracket, and it just looks reasonable. 
versus okay. what was going on last year. And so you've like, already seen that pullback. I think so. Based yeah. on supply, I think we're I seeing that here too. Purely <laughs> on supply. The big dog's gonna buy himself a, a, yeah. a waterfront property. Yeah, yeah. not waterfront. <laughs> but there's more supply, so like people just would be looking at more properties, like maybe yeah. leveraging this one sign for this or this one sold for that. Like, how can you justify that price? Mm. Whereas I was looking at times like there might have been four properties for sale in yeah. multiple suburbs that I was looking at. Yeah. And if that's the case, then like you have to pick one of those if you're really keen to buy or if you really yeah. like one, you go put all your eggs and you go hard at the auction that they run. And you're competing with 20 other buyers. Yeah, and then if you then if you, if you are cashed up because mm. it is a good affluent area, then you're happy to spend a bit over to get it, then that's the new comparable. Then the agent says this sold for this, so you have to pay this for this property yeah. and then keep the bang, bang, bang. bang. Yeah. yeah, it happened in this area too, like around Balkan Hills, Kellyville. Um, saw that. Well, question for you, and question for you too, both of you, uh, question for both of you, because both of you work with a lot of investors and you've seen a lot of people create some real wealth not just one property, but some real wealth. What, where do you think a lot of people go wrong in investing with properties and loans? And where do you see people doing them? Like, what, not not quick fixes or shortcuts, but what, what are some ways that people can invest or how they can invest to get to that point where they are at that real wealth creation stage? Yeah. Is this a you question? Bro, what about, so we were, um, Matt and I were doing a case study the other day where we were on the phone and we are talking about, you know, the difference between an interest-only loan and a P&I loan. Um, and I was like, because the way they struck, well, Matt, you can talk about this, but the way they structure the loans are, are different and how they will print, like, the way you repay a loan is different. Um, so we're talking about, you know, if we took an interest-only loan and just kept refinancing so the loan, you know, you could stay in interest-only, you use an offset account, you use all your wages go into your offset account, your rental income, you use the credit card to pay your, your living expenses and then at the end of 44 days you pay out that credit card. Awesome, yeah, so like Matt and I were just talking about that the other day, like the difference between using a principal and interest or an interest only loan. I'll let Matt talk about it because he knows more, but yeah, tell us like the benefit of each. I would say the benefit, so benefit pros and cons, principal and interest repayments, minimum repayments paying down the loan mm. and you traditionally will get a better interest rate. Okay. So if you did P&I over five years and made the minimum repayment versus interest only making the minimum repayment, the equity position in the property would be better. Okay. Right, so you want to be you know, paying it down, better interest rate. Interest only repayments less, so yeah. it frees up your cash flow to do other things. Yeah. And then you can utilize an offset account to offset the interest charge and, and look at almost manually reducing the loan that way, right? And there's tax strategies and all sorts of stuff laced throughout that, um, but the rate's higher. Yeah. And that's the trade-off. Um, like, to answer the question though, man, like, I think with investing and where people go right and where people go wrong, I think starting, like, if people want to invest, because I speak to a lot of people that want to buy their first investment property, because the mm. idea sounds good, mm. but you've got to step back and say, okay, why am I buying this property? What's mm. the strategy here? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. if you go and buy a property, you just go and bought a property. Mm. But if you sit down and say, okay, I want to have, you know, I want five properties, I hold them for 10 years, they double in value, I sell two of them off, clear the mortgages on the other three, 
that's called passive income, that to me becomes a bit of a strategy. And yeah. then, then you say, okay, I need five properties at what sort of price points can I get in where does my borrowing capacity lie and that's where I plug into it. But you need the strategy to understand, okay, what property should I purchase to start this process? Or what additional property should I buy to plug into this property portfolio portfolio to, to execute what I'm looking to do? And how does someone that's not in property figure that out? Speak to Dan the man. <laughs> You've got to speak to somebody that knows what they're talking about. Yeah. Because this is my personal, I'll use a buyer's edge, right? This is my personal belief is if I'm competing with, like if I'm time poor, right? Mm. Family, mortgages, running, 160 mil. <laughs> um, I don't have time. So if I'm trying to, comp- like if I find a good area, I do some research in my downtime and then I go find the property, right? Mm. I've got to compete with Dan and a hundred other buyers agents that are probably looking at already all over that area. I'm mm. not going to get the good properties. They're going to get snapped up unless I'm lucky. So my opinion would be, you're better off paying a fee for service to get somebody to do that for you mm. and find the right property and execute the strategy, right? Yeah. So you have to talk to somebody, and if you don't know, talk to somebody, understand what they think of the strategies, and talk to a couple of them if you want to get different mm. ideas, but then, you, then you've got an idea, okay, what resonates with me, okay, cool. Can I now financially, can I do it? Which kind of ties into the whole conversation. I can, perfect, let's set up a pre-approval to purchase property one and let's go from, no, let's find the right property to plug into that strategy that I'm looking at. Yeah, definitely. A common roadblock I noticed when I was in finance and then also transitioning to the property side is a lot of investors uh, get roadblocked with they, they can buy one or two, maybe three properties, but then they tap out the serviceability. Yeah. Can you talk about how they can prevent that? Yeah. What are some of the ways they can increase their serviceability? Yeah, from our end, like it's going to happen. Like if you're PAYG, you can only borrow a certain amount. What I would say is it does get to a point where with your mainstream lenders, call it the major banks, you can only purchase three properties and that's it. But there's other lenders out there that are favorable with borrowing capacity that will allow you to buy property number four. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? And that's kind of as far as it can go sometimes. And then what I would say, like what I talk to for that is, you do hit a ceiling. Like there are strategically lenders that might get you one or two more properties. But once you hit the ceiling, then you've got to go back and rethink the strategy. All right, so I've got four properties. Are they all performing? This one's not performing, let's fuck it off. Let's sell it and let's free up the capacity to, to get something that's going to perform better. Or if this is already performed mm-hmm. and ain't going to perform for a long period, let's get that out and let's get something in there that's going to perform in a shorter period. Because okay. that technically makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yep. But you do hit the answer question, you yeah. do hit the ceiling. Self-employed, be different. You can tap into different ways to like, to, to probably increase your capacity, depending on, if, if, if it's accurate, you can do low dollar their income, things like that to increase it. Um, what about um, a lot of, but when I was doing finance, there was a lot of talk about using separate entities yeah. to um, free up, you know, from a servicing point of view, um, and also with all the, the, I think it's an all monies clause that banks have. What's your experience with utilizing separate entities when you are buying investment properties? Do you see there being benefits or negatives from a, a lending perspective? Lending is fine. Like lending is fine. Like it is a way that you can hold thing in, in holding 
companies, it can free up capacity and you can do, do purchase on different things to make it work. Um, but in the, the world of lending, it's, it's fine. Like there's no, there's probably a misconception if you buy a property in a company or a trust, it's harder. It, yeah. It's not. There may be some lenders that just don't do it, but that's fine. Like a good chunk of lenders do do it. Yeah. So and it's just it's normal. Like same rates, all that sort of stuff. You don't get penalised. Do you think it's a good idea to buy property with your superannuation? Yeah, I think so. Uh, like it's it's if the if you buy the right property, yeah. Yeah. I think so. So if I have fifty grand sitting in my super now, yeah. Would you go? You, you need more. Twenty percent plus. So what okay, the, so twenty percent plus the same. Can you use can, can you use super and your savings at the same time, or they have to be completely separate? It has to be super because the entity's different. Yeah. It's like you don't touch that property, you buy it as in gotcha. whether it be commercial or resi. Gotcha. And it sits down to. And it's got to have twenty percent with yeah. super. <clears throat> so it just becomes an investment vehicle that yeah. your investment, but instead of it being shares and things like that, it's just sitting in a property that gotcha. will appreciate over a period of time. Gotcha. And, and what's your own investing? philosophy what are you doing for mine mine is mine's a bit tricky man mm. not tricky but buying investment properties put the brakes on it uh sitting on savings and things like that to find an occupied home yeah okay. so mine like i stopped pivoted buy home for family once we do that i'll go again yeah and mine would be more an accumulation of properties in a certain price bracket, hold them, let them, like what I'd do, this is what I personally would do, will do, is interest only for investment loans, for cash flow, so if those properties will pay for themselves or potentially put money in the pocket, focus on debt elimination for an occupied loan through excess cash and things like that. Um, so keep paying this down or keep reinvesting the money back into investment properties. Let these potentially grow. I'll probably keep holding them, but at some point I can draw the line and say, okay, now let's sell these, use all the, the net sale proceeds, get rid of the unoccupied debt, debt free, uh, start then leverage equity and go again and yep. build the portfolio again. Yeah. Because young age can do it, give it time. Yeah. That would be fine. But mine's, yeah, mine was buying investment properties and accumulate. I stopped mm. the accumulation phase because I wanted to make sure I had the capacity and the cash to buy what I want to buy. And mm. I'm going to do that and then I'm going to go again. Yeah. And what about you, Daniel? What's your uh, investment? It's actually course? a really interesting one. One thing I, from my experience, what I have learned is that sometimes it's better off to be market ready delay your investment journey and actually increase your your earned income um you know i bought my first property quite young which i'm really happy i did because it, you know now that's i've got about 400 maybe 500 grand of equity in it now about 400 let's say um which is awesome right but what maybe instead of buying that and i invested that into you know increasing my earned income i could probably have serviced to buy a better property which would you know grow further faster so um, my advice to someone is uh, don't rush it like if you if you can't afford to spend 600 grand on a property don't buy it because like you you're going to buy a shit property which it might perform well over a short period of time but 
you know, it's not going to perform well enough for you to, to keep accumulating. So my first piece of advice would don't buy too prematurely. Yeah. Um, focus on getting your earned income. Like if you're PAYG, it's a little bit different because you'll always be capped. But if you're someone who's self-employed or wants to like be flexible with what you earn, I'd say invest all your excess capital into getting your earned income to a point where you can service buying the types of property which will perform like, like Matt was saying, like the blue chip properties where the price bracket, you know, 750 to 1.5 million. Like that's a really good price point to buy quality assets with, um, with good growth and you continue to leapfrog. Um, so like for me, I'm glad, I'm grateful I bought one because I learned the process. I've got heaps of equity now. I can use that to you know, invest in a business. I, if I want to buy a car, I can make, I can pull that out, buy a car, my tenants make the repayments. I don't have to worry about having any debt which is not paid for by others which I'm grateful for, but if I, if, I had, if I was in the same position what I am, if I, if I could only afford to buy a $500,000 property now, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Because it's, just, it's a waste. Like you're better, wait till a mil. I'd wait till I'd have a you know, 700 grand at least. Yeah. yeah. To so be able to that would be my advice is like, 20, unless, unless you're- 20% deposit? Yeah. Oh, no. So when you invest, oh, really? my philosophy is I want to maximize my cash on cash return, yeah. which means I put in, 100 grand, that's my cash contribution. I borrow another 900 grand, that's debt. Yeah. I've got a million dollars to spend. Let's say I, I spend a million dollars on a property, it goes up by 100 grand. My cash on cash return, I've, got, I've put in 100, I made 100. You made 100%, yeah. right? So that's awesome. My philosophy is take on lender's mortgage insurance because A, it's a tax deductible expense, your cash on cash return will be higher and it'll get you in the door further faster. Um, Everyone's got different levels of risk tolerance. I wouldn't, you know, that only really works when you're buying in blue chip locations where you're not having these massive price fluctuations. But um, like if you're PAYG, your ceiling, your your income's capped, right? So you'll only, let's say you're earning 70 grand, you know, your borrowing capacity is like, what, 400 grand, 300 grand? Can I say one thing as yeah. well is I think to that note, like just looking at it from the lending side of things is your first property plays a big, like I put so much pressure on the first property purchase and I wouldn't say I bonded, but I wouldn't say I fucking nailed it either, mm. right? And I think the first property does mean, I put so much pressure and I think I rightly put pressure on it because if you buy the first one, mm. you ideally want to get the growth. Like, I personally think you buy a property so it appreciates in value and then you can do what you want with it down the track. Yeah. And there's, there's strategies where you get cash flow properties to plug in and to balance it all out. But fundamentally, you want the property to grow in value. Mm. So you want the first one to grow in value ASAP because if it does, and to what Dan's saying is, you can go back now and you're not having to save all this cash mm. that can take years mm. to buy property number two. Instead, you pull the equity out of the property yeah. and recycle that, and then you buy property Like with Dan's two. one yeah, now. property number yeah. three and four. Because Dan won't have to contribute cash if he doesn't want to. All he right. can pull the equity, yeah. and that technically is his deposit. And, and purchase. And then once you've got good equity man, as long as you've got the capacity, you can go bang, 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 bang. And yep. you can buy property very, very quick. All right, let's 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 use some real life um, case studies. Boys, do we have, <laughs> boys behind the cameras, do we own properties yet? 
No. Not yet. No, not yet. So for kids these ages, like how old are you, Harry? 20. Like these, these are some young kids, right? What would be your advice to guys like this that are 20-ish years old that haven't got their first property? For prop, like if it's related specifically to property, I would say save as much money as possible. Um, stop going to the fiddler. Yeah, mate. stop going to the fiddler. Um, I would save as much money as possible, and then when the time's right, I'd buy the property when I can. Yeah, but I would as soon as you money. can, five yeah. percent deposit. Investment ten percent. Yeah, investment ten percent. Duty as well. Yeah. Um, if it's purely investment, I'd say save the money so you put yourself in a position to buy an investment property ASAP. I would get the advice and I'd invest the time to listen to podcasts, to read books, attend inspections, so you're just very knowledgeable about it as well. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that versus the Fiddler, questionable. But <laughs> I think if you arm yourself with the knowledge, you feel very comfortable with it, and knowledge is power, and then you, you start you start knowing things and then you feel comfortable with the purchase and you understand the strategy because I know so many people man that buy investment property they're like I'm going to accumulate property I'm going to accumulate property and mm-hmm. when they buy a property and a year later it hasn't gone up that much value like fuck property I'm going to sell my investment property I'm going to buy a home and they mm-hmm. fucked up the strategy and they paid for stamp duty and now they're going to pay for selling costs mm-hmm. so I think you've got to understand that if I'm going to buy this I gotta give it time in the market to do its thing. Like, mm. use Queensland as an example at the moment, right? It seems to be popping off. So mm. I'm doing valuations, properties are going up, right? Mm. Which is awesome. But everyone's like, it's it, it's gonna pop and it's gonna pop for ages. But finally, like I bought a property in Queensland in 2017. It's only popping now, mm. right? But if I sold it, I wouldn't have got any of that. Mm. That increase in the, in the value of the property. Yep. So what I'd say is like, you gotta, Save the money, put yourself in a position, educate yourself, work on the strategy, and then be patient with the property to do its thing. And, and not be scared. So like these guys, and they were obviously all living in Sydney. Yeah. So don't be scared to just buy in Sydney. Don't be scared to look to into state. To go state, 100%, yeah. because not everyone can afford these high price bracket areas. That's only for certain income earners or only for certain deposit or equity to do it. It can tie into the overall arching strategy. like. Strategy wise, I want five properties. Okay, yeah. you only got capacity technically to buy two now, so let's start the journey. But maybe buy two in this sort of price bracket. Can't find anything for Sydney for that much. Have to go into state. What area is going to get good growth as quick as possible, but not be fucked with yield so you're bleeding money while holding the property? All right, let's find those areas and then let's go look at the properties in those areas. Let's buy the properties that sit on them. Let's keep earning more money because with, with age, earnings will continue to increase. And yeah. then we keep reassessing. Let's check yeah. the equity every six to 12 months through valuations. Let's check borrowing capacity when we can, then buy property three, and then keep on the same cycle over yeah. and over. It becomes tricky, man, because for me, I was on that journey, and then bang, stop. Now I want to pivot by an unoccupied property, and then I'm going to go back to it. Yeah. So things do pop up. I think be mindful of that, understand that. But going to it being like, I'm going to commit. Like, I think you've got to commit to investing. Mm. Yeah. Right? I found, like, I don't know what you guys think about this, but people used to be like, just buy an unoccupied home. Like, people used to have fucking dumbest stories. Being yeah. like, look, look at fucking this guy over here. He's 55, he owns his home outright. He's living the dream. I'm like, fuck, he's not living the dream. He fucking worked his ass off yeah. for 35 years or whatever it is, and now he just owns his home. And good yeah. on him. Not everyone does that, right? Yeah. 
but I'm like, there's like, I don't think, like, I feel like, let me know your thoughts on this. You can go on the investment journey in your 20s and then be like, okay, I'm gonna park this on off stuff, rent in nice places or rent somewhere where I wanna live and then I'm just gonna work on investing and let property do its thing and give it its proper time. Yeah. And then other people jump on their own off bandwagon, max out capacity, yeah. and then they're very reliant on their home to perform, and then these people usually can jump into investing. Different time frame. Later down like, the track. Like decade, in a decade. Yeah. When they, they paid off chipping away the mortgage, property market should have taken off, now they have the equity. Yeah. We have somebody doing this at the moment, right? They've, they've got a home, mm. It's performed, they've got the equity, now let's look at investing. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what are your thoughts? Like, you find people uh, just like, I just want to buy a home, I want to buy a home. Yeah, and they're not really thinking, fuck, like, I'm kind of compromising, I'm rushing this. Do you really need to buy a home before your own? Or, like, I don't see a lot of, yeah, I don't see any, like a lot, like pretty much all of the people that we come across in, in our business are, are simply just buying their first home, like yeah. not buying their first home, buying their family home, should yeah. I say, and then not looking outside for investments. And if they are, they've only just bought, like they've, they've bought their family home now, mm-hmm. they're buying an investment property. Yeah. But Jay, obviously our director, and you know Jay as well, He's only just about to move into his first owner-occupied house. He has bought several investment properties before he's actually bought his first place. Yeah. And now his first place is off a ten. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, he's been renting this whole time, yeah. living in a living in a villa, renting, 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 buying, 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 and now he's finally gotten to the stage where he can go out and. Um, you know, buy something a bit cracker. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I can relate to Jay as well. I feel like, like similar thing, buying investment, but then he didn't compromise. No. You know I mean, he had any point he could have bought an occupant, but it probably wasn't what he wanted. Yeah. Next in, he had to offset that with, I'm gonna pump money back into a business, mm. and I wanna make sure I pump the, get the business right. Once I get the business right, I can pretty much buy it, fucking whatever. Like, mm. I'm open to a lot of properties that I mm. wouldn't have been if I just kinda just jumped into mm. this property over here. It's like Jack too, same yeah. thing, right? He's renting. Yeah, so like Jack and I, we rent in, rent in Bronte, right? This fucking awesome pad. But so the benefit of rent vesting is your you're not compromising any of your serviceability on property that doesn't produce an income. So if you were to buy an owner-occupier property now, that has no income generating from that asset. So instead of being able to borrow another million dollars to buy an investment, you can only now borrow $400,000. Then you're sacrificing on the types of, you know, quality properties and then you're roadblocking yourself. Um, and, And also what I see a lot too, where a lot of people get stuck is they'll buy, particularly our age group now that are starting to look to buy their first property. There's all these grants and stimulus to buy out west, your house and land packages. These locations and types of property, the fundamentals of investing, they're not the types of properties you wanna be investing into. Right, or it may be all good and well to live there as an owner-occupier, but if I was- They're trapped there now. Then yeah, like the opportunity cost of if I was to spend a million dollars, you know, out west in a house and land package, where there's an infinite supply, or that a million dollars in like a really blue chip affluent suburb in Newcastle, 10K from the CBD, you're gonna have two different growth rates. Yeah. Um, so it's like the opportunity cost of if you invest too early, you buy an owner occupier, you're just roadblocking yourself. But again, like everyone's different. Uh, I, I think so. Yeah. I think 
buying it. Like I'm in that mobile family home as well. So yeah, like. But you've got a fucking. You're a man. Full disclaimer: Like nothing wrong with buying unoccupied homes, but I do like. I think just knowing that, like. And I don't think people would think about this. It'd be knowing that like, it might prevent you from buying additional properties. And that might not be a problem. I'm going to buy a home. I'm going to pay it down. I'm going to raise my family here. That's fine. If you that's what it? makes you happy. Yeah. Well, I guess the point is, like, if you're going down this investing path, I think you've got to understand you've got to properly commit to it to mm. get the benefits of it. Yeah. Because if, if you do what happens, like, like family have done this, they've bought investments. I want to get rid of it, change it, mm. I want a home to buy. Mm. And then they haven't reaped any rewards. Yeah. Instead, they've just stressed themselves like half out. half it, yeah. Yeah, like it hasn't grown, sell it, management of it, shit goes wrong with it, whatever, and they haven't benefited. So yeah. I think like it's like I've got to commit to this investing thing if I'm going to do it versus like do it for two years, lose sight of what I'm actually trying to achieve here, yeah. and then sell them off for a loss or a small profit and then go buy a home. Yeah, and and how, what would your advice be to, to to the younger guys where they where their income isn't that high, they still want to live a social life, but at the same time they still want to save money for for a deposit. How do you balance that out? Well, fucking you don't. There's got to be a sacrifice. It's like work. Like there's got to be a sacrifice. Like you know what it is. This is what I would say. Mm. Is you got to and this is Goggins, right? Mm. This is fucking Goggins. You got to. Want it enough to like shut fucking big parts of your life off? This is actually mm. Joe Rogan now. You gotta sh- mm. like if you really want it, you gotta shut big parts of your life off and to to fucking fully commit to going towards it. Yeah. Like I can only speak for myself, but I stopped drinking when I was eighteen. Really? Bang, stopped, went to the gym. That's it. So you don't drink anymore. I don't drink really. Okay. Only at the Christmas party. Okay. Once there you year. go. Really? Yes. Wow. I never drink. Machine. But you got like I shut that social part of my life off. Mm. right like and then I focused on and that, that shut that off so I could train and look very good like physically train put your like humble hat back on yeah, yeah. <laughs> try to look very good right as an, as an 18 year old yeah. but I was willing to shut the full social life off which is very important when you're 18 but now I look at it and now I'm happy to shut down big parts of my life to focus on my family focus on my business so I'd say to young people if you fucking want it then don't like, don't fucking blow five hundred dollars at the Hillside Hotel mm. on a Friday night. It's just the way it is. Yeah. Like you're gonna have to uh, budget your eating. You're gonna have to do all these things in order to save the cash, in order to put yourself in a position to buy the property and take that step. And it is what it is. Or like you need to earn more money. Like it sounds brutal, but it's that's reality. just as simple as that. Yeah, like that's what you have to do. There's no like I'm gonna balance it all out and I'm gonna have this perfect property portfolio and it's all gonna happen. Because I guarantee you, talk to if you talk to Jay, he'll fucking tell you. I reckon he'll say he was he, seven. He shut down big parts of his. He was life. working seven days a yeah, week. Yeah, to build it. Like it is yeah. what it is. Like yeah. how hard, how much do you want it, and what are you willing to do to get it? Yeah, 100%. you know what I mean. Because you can make it happen, but how hard. Like, it's an interesting one, man, because if I were, like, I am young, yeah. but if I was younger with yeah. this knowledge, it's like, you can earn more. 
Mm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to listen to podcasts. I'm going to put myself, even from PYG, I'm going to put myself in a position to earn the most amount of money, mm. to get like a promotion and get a salary increase. I'm mm. going to do what it takes. Mm. But to do what it takes, it might mean like I'm not going to play fucking FIFA <laughs> two hours a night. Yeah, I'm going to. Like, that's what you have yeah. to do. Yeah. You're going to make a few extra calls and you're going to do a few more edits, shit like that. You know it, yeah. man. Like, with people that work in your team, you, you, you know who's going to mm. kill it and who's not so much going to kill it based on the work ethic and how they're committed to the cause. It's the one common denominator. The uncommon yeah. amongst uncommon. That's right. Yeah. You got the uncommon amongst uncommon. It's true. It's fucking difficult, too, in an office full of killers. Like, your team here is obviously quite young. What's the median age over here? The median age would be 27. 27. That was just a guess, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, like, these guys, their philosophy, are they going out on weekends and stuff? Are they staying home? Like, you know, culturally in the office, very good culture in the sense that we all like to have a good time, a lolsies, but everyone is committed to training, yeah. like healthy lifestyle and seeing each other succeed. Yeah. You know what I mean? And just pushing through and supporting each other. So like we've found like Brendan would be a good testimony to this, right? Brendan came in, trained a couple extra kgs, you know what I mean? Yeah. But when he came in, he stopped, he lost 10 kilos, got to his weight goal, became an accredited broker, like trains consistently now, like lifestyle changed. Yeah. Um, so we find like it, it's, it would start from the top for sure, because yeah. like I would say like Dylan and I live and breathe that lifestyle. Yeah. And you know what it's like, like if yeah. somebody comes in and then you're the example, you yeah. like, okay, like Matt's doing these things. If I want to do what Matt's doing, and if you crew right and have a good attitude, then like, I gotta start doing these things that he's doing yeah. to have, to put myself in a position that I wanted, like I'll be in a similar position soon, so I'll do those things. 100%. So I find that culturally that seems- From the cool. top down for yeah. sure. And that's where the juice is in life as well. Like you're in 75 hard, there's no alcohol, you're working out, you're feeding your mind with brain food like books and all that stuff. It's fucking great. And then, the, and that's where the real juice is in life. Like I, I remember coming out of these holidays and I, mean, I had a lot to drink, a lot <laughs> yeah. to eat. Yeah. I had some fun. There was a few rowdy, there was a few rowdy weekends in the holidays and you come back and you're just fucking sluggish and it's hard to get motivated. It's hard to do the calls. It's hard to really fucking do anything. But then for the past few weeks, I've been training every day, a couple of hours, water, less drink, pretty much no drinking. Um, and you're back into that flow where things just start to happen. And like, I strongly believe in law of attraction. And when you're in that mindset where you're going out and partying on a weekend and doing this and doing that, there is no, you're attracting the same shit into your life where when you're in that flow, not force zone and you're feeling the juice of life, things start to happen. You attract more clients, you make more money, good things start to happen. You have more good fortune. and. Um, I think it all comes down to how you live your personal life outside of work. Yeah. It's the off-field stuff that, that helps the on-field the on field stuff for sure. If, you're off yeah, field, if your personal life isn't going that well, like not in terms of, oh, I'm fighting with my family, like anything to do with your off-field stuff in your personal life, whether it be family, fitness, friends, anything at all, it wasn't in, like the only, the only time that it really got for me 
that like my life started to really start training and real real success started to hit me was when all of my personal life, friends, family, everything was ticked off. My boxes were perfect. Then my work started to explode. Yeah. And I think that's where the real juice is, for sure. I reckon. I reckon. It's interesting, too. I think it's got to be real to you. Like, I look at my... I can only relate to my, my own personal situation. But, like, my family sometimes are like, you're a tripper. Like, when people think <laughs> you're a tripper, like, you work too hard. What are you doing? But it's real to me. 100%. You know what, I mean? like, what I'm doing is important to me. Like, I'm happy to, to sacrifice things and you would look at it and be like, bro, what the fuck are you doing? Go out and drink. Mm. You know what I mean? But I don't want to. Yeah. I want to I wanna do what, what I want to do, which is mm. I want to work. I want to support. Like, the biggest thing for me is like my most satis- like what gives me most satisfaction about the business is seeing other people do well. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So I'm going to do some of the heavy lifting. I'm going to like focus on creating an environment so that way they can succeed because that's like that that's real to me that's important 100 so percent. Like it has to be real man you know what i mean like but it, what i was gonna say it's gonna be real like people get lost i think they don't know what the fuck they're doing mm. like like it doesn't have to be work related it can be physical related it can be happiness related but what the fuck's important to you mm. and i think just do that like it's easier said than done because you have the financial stuff and all that. But I think if you really care about something and you commit and you don't spread yourself thin over a thousand different things and you become an expert at it, like the monetary stuff should come off the back of it. Mm. But I, I'm a big believer like you just gotta you gotta do what's important. And I don't think people sit down and probably can like I know I would have struggled with this, but like sit down and think okay, well, what do you, what do I want to do and I'm mm. just gonna go do that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That was like a bit of like... And that's, that's awesome. It's true. And it's, it's about <clears throat> managing the energy. And I know you're going through mm. hard time trying to figure that out right Massively. Now. Like, for example, myself, what's life for me? Like, I'm a very extreme personality. And you know, getting coaching with Jeff, we talk about people like us. We have what's called like high performer syndrome where we're so committed to our goals that we'll like double down on these tasks mm. where we neglect the on-field stuff that f- fuels us and recharges us so we can you know pump out a 12 15 hour day my problem is like i cut out the alcohol so at the moment i'm doing 75 hard and i'm doing marathon and ultra man- marathon training and i'm working like 12 hour a day so i was like yes it's i've cut out the alcohol but i've taken up an excessive habit where i'm you know, training in the morning and then I'm training in the afternoon. I have no soul food time in between. Um, so it's gotta be, a, I think what I've learned just recently, like it's really important to know your direction, where you wanna go, what you gotta sacrifice, but then also have your on off-field stuff, which is age appropriate. Like Jeff, you would say to me, like during the holidays, if I wanna go and have a bender, you've got five opportunities to do that. Mm. But when it's on, when it's like on season and we're like work mode, no drinking at all. Mm. Um, so something I'm battling is like, I'm very excessive. Like I'll cut alcohol, I'll cut everything out to really focus on this goal. But then I neglect the off field stuff, which recharges me. Yeah. So I think that's a lesson that I've learned, which is super important. It's like, yes, have your focus and goals, but that doesn't, don't let that, I, um, be your identity yeah. like yeah I want to write you know five million dollars but like I, I want to be successful in business my business is a vehicle to build your life it's not your life yeah. just like fitness like yeah I want to run a marathon but don't let that be your life like yeah. 
I don't know, that's just my, my what I'm yeah. going through at the moment. you got to have hobbies and you got to have things that don't spread you too thin. Yeah, so then you can, like, like what Matt's been able to do, it's, it's awesome to see, like, he's been able to stay in that flow where he can grind but then not be so burnt out that he's like, fuck this, I hate my life. Yeah, I'm right. going to go move to Byron and just, do, my, and just do modeling. There were some dark days. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But I know what you're saying. You know, yeah. No, that resonates with me, man. That's because awesome. I can become so fixated on my goals yeah. where I fucking lock on, like a lion locking on to like a prey. Yeah. And I'm just going to be relentless in the pursuit. And then sometimes halfway through, you're like, bro, this is, I'm fucking miserable. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, this is not like, I'm doing this for what? Is it worth it? Yeah. And they say like the, the glory is in the journey. It's like this journey fucking sucks. sucks. I don't want to do this. Uh, So like, I have that. I can relate to that. Yeah. That like happens to me at times. For sure. Like running. Yeah. (laughs) It hurts. That's why I do it. I don't know. But yeah, I think that fucking that does this podcast. What do you reckon? Mate, that was awesome. That was a long Phenomenal. fucking good podcast. Man, I didn't realize we were well over an hour, but yeah, like an hour, bro. Yeah, like I've got a um, That's what's right. it called a uh, uh, training now. But like, fuck, we're just in such good flow. It's at eleven thirty. Yeah, fuck, we gotta go. Yeah, <laughs> 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 the gym. Well, <laughs> Mate, that's another episode of Both Sides of the Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, boys. Appreciate it. Fucking, you smashed that, man. Fuck yeah. That was one of my favorite podcasts.